Hey, thanks for joining me, good people. Welcome to Best with Brittany, where we hear from Black educators on the state of education. In this space, we'll hear from the vets, the pros, and those just entering and planning to enter into the field. At the core, this space will delve into why we need more Black teachers and how we can be intentional about seeing more of us in the school environment. We need us, and you do too. Okay, so good morning. Um, today I have Miss Valencia Hicks-Harris here with me. Um, we are going to be talking about her experience as an educator and some of her views and, um, and thoughts about Black teacher representation in our education field today. And so I want to just start out by asking you to tell me a little bit about yourself, like your background, where you're from, and then your educational experience. All right. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's see. My background experience is in elementary education. I taught kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and STEM um, for about 12 years through Wake County Public School System. Um, that was an incredible experience that kind of pushed me to where I am today and what I would like to do um, and centering our youth of color and making sure that um, they have access to the skills that they need to be culturally affirmed and to belong in spaces. Um, oftentimes what I found was that I was usually just by myself. Um, my kindergarten year, I think I was one of three black teachers in the whole school. My first grade year, um, I was of course the only black teacher on the hall for sure, but in school-wide, I think it was about three of us. Uh, second grade, that's when I changed schools and that was probably, let me see, I was the only black teacher in second grade and school-wide, it was about six of us. So that was real unique. Um, and then teaching STEM at White Oak Elementary, um, I'm trying to think. Actually, it was just me and another Valencia. So it was just two of us as Black teachers, which- Oh, was wow. Cool. Two, two, Valencias. <laughs> two Valencias. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I might've asked the, the principal, did she purposely do that? But <laughs> it was quite unique. Okay. So, but, so what made you go into teaching as a profession? Oh, to be honest, I vowed that I would never be a teacher. And I put my foot in my mouth because I grew up in the classroom, in my mom's classroom, Every summer, every workday, we were always in my mom's classroom. And um, I saw how much my mom worked in the school and outside of school. Like she brought work home. It was always planning. We were always in Michael's. We were always in the stores, buying things, taking back to school. And I'm like, nah, this is not for me. <laughs> you know, my whole, her whole paycheck was spent on her students. Um, and then her time was spent predominantly for her students as well. So I just didn't feel like I wanted to be boxed into four walls. So I vowed that I would never be an educator. And lo and behold, I put my whole foot in my mouth. Wow. I mean, so like, do you think in the back of your mind, even though you, even though you saw that and said that you wouldn't do it, was there something about your mom's dedication that made you, that inclined you to go into education? Uh, I, honestly, I think it's the impact, the impact that she made on the students that they would just constantly come back. So her classroom setting, she was a 
director of a child development center that was housed inside of a high school. So she um, taught three, four and five year olds, but also she taught high school students. So the high school students, if they wanted to go in child development, they would come into her classroom, develop skills on how to lesson plan and how to work with the students as well. So um, a lot of times the babies, we call them baby jags, the baby jags would start off there, then go to elementary, middle, but then come back to Athens for high school. So they would see their see the same teacher again. So they see my mom again, right? So they come back. So, and same way with my brother and I, we both, we went through, we were baby jags and then we left, went to a different elementary school, middle high, but then high school, we came back to Athens. So I was back at the school, my mom was as well. So um, just that impact really, you know, the phone calls, the cars, her, her refrigerator is covered with Christmas cars, more of the kids that she taught than her own family because they're always, you know, reaching back out saying they just want to say hello to Miss Hicks. Oh, did you ever have your mom as a teacher? Yeah, my mom was my first teacher. So she was my pre-K teacher. She was my oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's pretty cool. Okay. Um, so aside from having your mom as your first teacher, did you, uh, did you have many other Black teachers growing up? Ooh, that's a good question. Let me think. I had Miss Fane. Miss Fane was my fourth grade teacher and my fifth grade. So she she moved classes with us. So that was, she was a black educator and she taught fourth and fifth grade. And then middle school, I had Mr. Keck and he was a science teacher. And Mr. High taught social studies. So that makes three. And then in high school, in high school, yeah, I didn't have any um, black teachers in high school. And then college, I went to UNCG first, and the only, I had one Black professor, and of course, he taught African-American studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my real experience with, I, I guess I would say, with more uh, Black educators was when I got my master's at North Carolina Central. So and that was feeling at HBCU, but yeah. So what do you think... Um, the importance of having black teachers is or was like you can kind of think about this from your personal experience and the kind of scatteredness of the black educate black teachers that you had and thinking about your own experience also as an educator um, and the impact of being a black educator for your students um i think a couple of different things when i taught at holly grove and that school that i was there for six years and I really wanted to leave that school um, just because of guilt as well feeling like I wanted to teach um, in a school that had more of our black and brown babies but I couldn't get into any schools like I feel like when a transfer fair opened up I would apply but those positions would get filled or I don't know something happened where I wasn't able to make that move and so I would often talk to my principal who was black and that's, that's actually, let me mention that all the principals that I worked for were predominantly black principals, which was quite interesting, right? So Holly Grove, I had a black principal at Apex, I had a black principal. So I, I worked under, you know, black educators in leadership, but uh-huh. it just wasn't like black teachers on the staff. But anyways, um, so oftentimes I would go in and have conversations with her about, you know, the lack of representation of black teachers, you know, in the school. And, you know, I even was like, let's put together a recruitment plan. You know, let's reach out to HBCUs. Let's do this. Let's, let's do that. Um, and she would often tell me that it was hard to recruit 
black educators just because of um, how much the teacher pay. Because at that time, teachers weren't getting the steps and it was like that hole was like a big mess, you know. Um, but then what really drove it home was to talk about the number of black students who were in the school as a whole. And it's just like, you know, I'm thinking back to first grade, Josiah. Josiah was the only black boy in the entire first grade track four. And so at that time, it was like, well, at least he and I could make that connection and that bond, right? So he <laughs> sat beside me, we shared snacks. He brought me snacks, I brought him snacks. But just that, you know, we were able to really build a strong relationship. And actually coming from kindergarten to first grade, he had deficits in kindergarten, but those deficits were able to be filled in first grade. And I don't necessarily know that it was just like I had the magic or the secret sauce to be able to teach him those skills. But I really think it's because of the relationship that we developed, that he knew that I was dependent on him, that I wanted supported him, that I wanted him to do well, that I just, you know, I talked to his papa, I talked to his mama, I would go to his soccer games. You know, I just really embedded myself in like his life. So I think that that was the impact. And I think that's the difference between black educators and white educators, just knowing how to make that personal connection with students. Um, and the same way I made those same connections with my white students as well. Um, but I think that that is the difference between black educators and white educators. Just, I feel like we just know how to really bring in their culture and embrace it in the classroom and just make them feel like they are truly a part of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so I'm just kind of thinking about what you said in terms of having black admin, right? Like, so working under black leadership, but not seeing um, representation in like teachers and the the one of the causes for that is being um, the fact that education doesn't pay well, mm -hmm. right? But that's something that we are still experiencing. I mean, I would even argue possibly that that's always been the case, right? Like education has never really been like a highly funded profession. So what do you think or how do you think we overcome that obstacle in terms of wanting more Black representation in the teaching force, but kind of recognizing that teaching teachers don't get paid well? Right. Um, well, to be honest, I think that if we could offer some type of financial assistance for, so I also worked at Meredith College in graduate education program. So that was part of my job to recruit. And so with that, anytime I met with like BIPOC individuals who were interested in coming, the first thing they would be like, well, Meredith is a private school. How am I going to pay for this? So it was like, I actively sought like the FAILS program, different programs or different means of financial assistance that would start off as a loan but turn into a grant to have loan forgiveness because um that's a, that's a lot financial aid is a joke you know <laughs> it's just a way to bring people in a system and then constantly have them in debt so uh -huh. it's just trying to find unique ways to help them um financially as well so that helped a bit you know and i think you really have to get to the heart of like people who really want to make a difference, who realize that like, okay, your reward may not be something tangible, you know, as money, but a greater reward in, you know, producing some solid productive citizens. So I don't know. It's just, that's, that's this one. If, if we could figure this one out, I think we'd be millionaires. Right. If we could figure <laughs> this one out, we would solve it because I think it's like twofold. So like I had one principal, Mr. Faison, he was, determined to recruit black educators so that's why we had like I'm telling you I know we had about seven of us that were licensed teachers 
And then the IAs were black. The secretary was black. The front office staff was black. He was like determined. And uh-huh. this is Apex. So this school is centered in Apex in a white community right. and all these black educators too. So uh, he really, he really changed the narrative with that one, you know, and I think we saw a lot of growth as well. Um, but then as soon as he left, so did the black teacher. So like he left, he went to a middle school and then that same year I left and then like two other people left. So like people, it didn't it stay it out. It rolled out. So I think it really comes down to support because, you know, I think about um, the principal that I had first to like as a mentor to me, but something she said, I asked her, could I team teach with um, one of my good friends, Judy? So I was like, can we team teach? It was like, they had a combination class. It's going to be a first, second grade class. And I'm like, put the two of us together, two dynamic teachers together, right? Like, this could be awesome. Put together a proposal. We put together a pitch, but she was like, at the end of the day, I can't put you all are my only two black educators. I cannot put you all together. So it's I mean, just, is that, was that because of optics? Like, what was the, what was the reason? I think that was the politics. I think it was really politics. I think sometimes, a lot of times, the pressure of that they receive the perception and all of that, they just kind of fold to it. So you just almost need somebody who is like, no, this is my school. This is how I'm going to run it. And I'm looking looking out for the need of the students, but not saying that she wasn't, but I think that was a really missed opportunity, you know, that we were, you know, two teachers, we could double the class size and make a a huge impact, but I can't put both of you all together. So we, we knew under that administration, we would never be able to teach in the same grade level. We could never co-teach. We would always be on different tracks, but we had to be spread out. Actually, I was on the first floor. She was on the second floor. So it was always that division, you know? Wow. So this makes me think of kind of like some of the things, you know, that we hear about or read about in literature when we think about the experiences of Black educators. And so have you, you know, being in the small number in the schools that you've worked at, um, found yourself dealing with being tasked with like more, um, more tasks than that are outside of the scope of your job, you know, being tasked with students from other classrooms who maybe white educators don't want to deal with, or just kind of feeling um, other in those spaces. Like, what are some of the things that you've experienced? I think everything that you listed, I've experienced, you know, every time there was a student who had an IEP that was as long as Christmas list, you know, uh-huh. they were in my class. Uh, anytime it was just like, if it was a black student, they were in my class, right? But if they were a low performing black student, they'll be in my class, but high performing, they might not be in my class, right? Um, uh-huh. And then additionally, like, you know, when I was a STEM teacher, so STEM, you're an, a specialist teacher, so you teach the entire school. So with that, uh, anytime, I remember first grade, it was one little boy, Khalil, anytime he would cut up, instead of sending him to the office, they would always send him to the STEM lab, send him down to work with Ms. Harris, you know? So I was always buddied up, or the counselors were always asking me to be a, a buddy to the students who, you know, were having difficult times, um, pull left and right pull left and right. So then it was just like a burden because you have the pressure, one, in class to push your students to um, meet or exceed expectations. But then you also have the pressure like of having those difficult students. Like, you know, I mesh well with students who have special 
needs, you know, a lot of times, you know, you just kind of, some of the things that they say are out of this world, but I think they're hilarious, right? So just having that personality to say every day is new and, you know, forgetting what happened yesterday and giving them a chance to start over. But then that's, you know, leads to burnout as well, you know, and then, like I said, just getting called on anytime it was, you know, you, you're teaching a lesson, you already have your class full and then Khalil's having an outbreak or Amaya's having an outbreak. And so you having to step in, you're constantly having to step out your room or invite your students into your room and find things for them to do. They're like, I was like, okay, they'll be my STEM helpers for the day, but also they will bring their work from class. So like, because I was taught first grade, then like, oh, this is perfect. So those first grade students will come in and then I would teach them their, what they were missing in class as well, while also trying to do my STEM lesson at the same time. So it, it was a lot. And then, you know, other teachers looking at you saying, well, why they always send them to Miss Harris? Why don't they send them home? Or why don't they send them to the office? And it's like, all we're trying to do is break the cycle of them going home because, or sitting in the office because they're going to continue to miss out on learning. Right, exactly. so you're going to be upset with me, but I'm trying to help you out. Or you're going to look at me and say, well, why are you not sending them to my class? Or why this, that, and the other? It was just so many levels of pressure mm-hmm. through all of that. So yeah, it was, it was exhausting. <laughs> exhausting for sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I haven't come across, you know, having conversations and even in my own experience, um, I haven't come across anyone who said, who hasn't experienced these things, right? Like as a black educator, like having to do like double duty and be t- being tasked with things that are like outside of their work and just being piled on this, like, is because you want to do it, right? Like you want to help the students, right? But you also recognize that like you are doing the most, like you are doing much more than other, than other um, teachers, especially your white, white counterparts, so. And additionally too, it was like, if there were black students who were getting ready to, they had been recommended to go through the IEP or 504 plan, I will always get called in as a represent, you know, as a representative. And I'm like, yes, I know that I, you know, had the license or they needed like another person to sit on that. But I, I firmly believe it was because I was black that they just wanted somebody else to sit in that space because they knew the parents, mostly your black parents are going to push back and say, you're not going to label my child um, or you're not going to say that they have a special need or they don't need this. So it was almost like a pawn you would feel like in that space. Yeah, mm, that's a good point. Um, so I think we talked about like the obstacles that teachers um, face and just thinking about like outside of the school, maybe if we were considering like policy, right? Like what are some things that we might consider doing differently at the policy level to change the structure of education to increase our numbers with funding? You know, we, I think we already talked about like we need to pay teachers more um, or provide avenues, especially for black teachers to offset some of the funding responsibilities that they've run into. But what are some other things that you could think about? I think honestly, I think they should provide counseling services, you know, provide them, offer them packages. Like I'm thinking about, you know, people who go through medical things, right? They get um, the opportunity to go to Rex Wellness or to go to to get the gym membership because they've been through whatever. But I think as a Black educator, the racial trauma and fatigue that you go through providing services to say, hey, here's a discounted rate for you to go 
receive those services because I mean, ideally, if it was already in-house, that would be great. But we already know our schools are already have shortages of counselors. And, and the burden that they have is already way high. So therefore providing them with like, hey, here's this gym membership or here's this ther- you know, therapy session, counseling session, something to combat the trauma and the fatigue that you deal with, that pressure. I think that will help um, providing you know, professional development because oftentimes you know, like at least for me, my background is elementary education. I wish I would have gotten a dual and special education. So to provide them, since you know, oftentimes you might be um, be pulled in to work with students who have special needs, then that way, if they are already licensed in that, or they know what to look for, or they can help to advocate to say, actually, this is what my special says. And they actually do not have this, you know, that way they can speak up to be able to help educate the parents as well, um, to provide them with that terminology. I think that that would help, um, you know, I, I, I mean, those are just some things off the top of my head that I can think of, but I don't know, Brittany, it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, because I feel like there's no like perfect answer, right? Like I think it just depends um, on where you are, but I definitely think that that piece, um, and there are some programs out there that do like the dual um, certification, like the dual degrees with your education and the special education being a part of it. I know that there are some places that are kind of like making that their standard because you have, especially as we move towards like inclusiveness and making, you know, wanting um, students who receive special education services to be taught in the classroom and this kind of model of co-teaching. But I definitely think that plays into it. But I think you also have to like think about, um, as I'm mentioning policy, I'm also like, well, how do we actually shift the mindsets of the majority of our teaching force who are white women, right? Like, how do you shift? Because like, even if you have a policy in place, if you still have teachers in the classroom who are interfacing with, you know, a diverse populations of students, if they have biases towards the students, right? Like, how do you really get past that? Right. Because like you always say, like they're in the classroom right now, like they're there now, even as we're trying to like increase black teachers, like what do you do about the white teachers that are already there? Right. Right. And also one other thing I was thinking about too, is like maybe having meetups, like a PL, you know how you have like your county wide or school wide PLTs or PLCs, whatever, Uh but having a time where black educators can get together because oftentimes at least if you know when you were in community together and you're experiencing the same thing it kind of gets you that oomph to keep going or to keep yes. you know pushing as well to continue to build that community um now yeah. that's that's major yeah because if you don't see each other right. ever you really can, can feel isolated and that impacts like your willingness or your motivation but if you have opportunities even if it's every like i don't know like quarter or maybe like a few times, like every nine weeks or something like that, I think that's important. But, <laughs> you know, just have to look forward to that. Right. And if you think about too, like what drives teachers or what, you know, honestly, you just want to know that you um, are being respected for your profession of like your craft and your skill. So I'm thinking like how WRL does like a teacher of the week, you know, maybe let's shout out our black educators, like let's shout them out. Let's put the present out there to let people know that there are still black educators still fighting for this cause. So, you know, one school once a year has a teacher of the year, right? Okay, well, all right, well, what can we do about that? Maybe we can do something in-house, maybe we can do something as a collective, maybe we can do something on social media that 
honestly, just a simple shout out is all, sometimes all people need to keep going. Keep going. Yeah. You just want to know that like somebody recognizes what you're doing. So, I mean, I think that's important. Um, but, you know, I think you've dropped some gems today <laughs> around the conversation of like, you know, what we could do better, share your experiences, kind of like re- um announcing some of the same things that we hear that black educators experience in the classroom and thinking of ways to kind of move the needle um you know your experience working at a university level and working in recruitment like how to offset some of those financial burdens for students um and just thinking about like recognition right because one of the other things is that this this undervaluing or feeling like your voice isn't heard. So if we could try to create ways um, in our districts um, and even within our individual schools where we are being intentional about how we recognize black educators, um, you know, we might see some changes start to happen, right? Like, or at least teachers staying around longer, like black educators staying in the field a little bit longer because we know the attrition rates are super high. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes I think about some of the young people that I know that they went through teaching fellows, right? So the teaching fellows program, I'm thinking about one young lady, she got ready to graduate last year and she's like, Miss V, I don't even want to go into education. I said, hold on, wait, what? So you want to accrue this debt? You just got your college paid for and you don't have three years. She's like, no, I don't want to do it. I went into the schools and I see, I'm like, oh no, we have to change this narrative. I'm like, no, ma'am. Like, I'm sorry, but you don't have a choice. You don't do it for three years. Yeah, for three years. Wow. So, so that's on the flip side. So it's like, even though her tuition was paid for, she still saw what was going on in education and yeah. decided and was willing, getting ready to take that risk to say, no, I don't want to do this. Now, granted, she is teaching, thank goodness. But, you know, I think we need to do a better, better job with our field experiences, with placing them in settings, going into those schools to change the culture as well. In the same way, I often push for our white students to go into those schools that they didn't grow up in, to go into uh-huh. those schools that was, you know, not the nicer schools as well. So that way, that way they get an experience. They get, you know, build that before they go into it, build that experience before they go into it. So. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think about, you know, um, the schools that universities have partnerships with where student teaching takes place, like they all look like the same thing, right? Like, so like, I think for white educators, you know, pre-service teachers who go into those schools, they really get this like utopian view of like what it is to student teach, right? And I think for the very minimal, the very small amount of teachers of color, whether that be black, indigenous, you know, what have you who go into those schools, they can automatically feel othered in those spaces, right? And that's their first interaction with teaching, right? And that can be a turnoff. So like, how do we diversify even our sites for where students, you know, do their student teaching. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, like next semester, um, as much as uh, this doctoral program is exhausting, I did sign up to teach because, you know, I think about the state and you think about um, within elementary education, at least how many of these white students have had a black professor to like share with them and kind of change yeah. the narrative that way sort of change the scope because if you can open their eyes before they go into actual classrooms, I think that will help too. So I think it really starts with, okay, 
you haven't had a black teacher this entire time, but all right, bet. Well, now these white students who are getting ready to graduate, complete their student teaching and go into, we don't want them to continue to replicate the cycle. We want to change the narrative. So I think bringing that perspective, bringing like more teachers of color into the collegiate level will help as well too. Because like you said, that cultural mismatch, I don't know that we will ever be able to catch that up. So yeah. I have to deal with what we do have. And I think changing that shift too will start with our teacher prep programs. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Like just you gotta shift the whole landscape, right? Like not only the K through 12 schools, but like what do our teacher prep programs look like and who are the students, you know, regardless of what color they are, like who are they seeing? What are they seeing? Right. Right. Well, I'd like to thank you for this conversation. I think, you know, just continuing to think about this and, you know, um, sit and build and be a community with other Black educators is really kind of like getting the things rolling and hopefully we can come up with some solutions that will really impact the entire field of education. So thank you. Thank you. I hope y'all have enjoyed today's conversation. Please share this episode and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's continue to be in community with one another and let the world know we've been here.